I'm in this kind of mini-series looking at unusual Christmas characters. Yeah. Uh, or at least we're going to start that way. We looked at um, Zachariah two weeks ago. And today, we're going to look at, look at someone else. So it's six weeks, no, it's, is it five weeks of Christmas? It's five weeks of Christmas, isn't it? I feel the stress coming on me. Um, but you know, you get those uh, Christmas cards and they have, like, the, they have the, the biblical scene on the front, the nativity and the... So you have the, like, the, the shed with the star and the angels and the shepherds and that sort of thing. Um, or maybe it's one of the wise men or, you know, it's Mary, Jesus and Joseph. You get those, those, those Christmas cards. We've seen hundreds of them. But there's one character that we, we read about at the beginning of the Christmas story that I've never seen on a Christmas card. Unless anybody here has received a Christmas card with John the Baptist on the front. No? You know how to John the Baptist Christmas card? Well, it's interesting because as we move towards Christmas and about the joy of the birth of Jesus, John the Baptist is actually a central character in the story. But it doesn't seem appropriate to celebrate John as part of that story, I guess, because of how we look at the nativity narrative and that kind of thing. And of course, we want to put Jesus at the center, which is what John the Baptist's ministry was all, was all about. But when you go to the Gospels, both Mark and Luke, that's two of the four Gospels, they begin uh, with John the Baptist taking center stage. They start with the story of John the Baptist, not the story of Jesus or the story of the birth of Jesus. And particularly in the Gospel of Mark, he starts um, his Gospel by focusing um, entirely on John. And, and when John arrives on the scene, there's no choirs of angels. Instead, he begins the story of Jesus with becoming like a prophet as he grows up blaring um, uh, in the wilderness and baptizing people throughout Judea. Very different kind of character. But in so doing, in Mark bringing the John the Baptist story at the, at the front of his gospel, he, he really is bringing a, a figure that sometimes we overlook who is important in this incarnation, this uh, Jesus coming in human form. He's a central character in this story. So we just want to look a bit at John the Baptist's story um, and maybe very lightly how it impacts on, on the Christmas story. As what we know of John the Baptist, we don't know much of him as a child, the same as we don't know a lot about Jesus, but from John the Baptist, you could describe him as like a religious eccentric, right? He comes across in the description read of him in the Gospels as a bit strange, a lot of people would actually dismiss him as being too strange. I think if we met him today, we would see him as being a bit edgy, a bit out there, a bit too enthusiastic and a bit too keen, a bit too vociferous um, in the way he speaks. Some might even have said that he wasn't playing with a full deck, that he wasn't quite the full shilling, right? That there was something you know, wrong with him. And John doesn't seem to fit in with the shepherds and the wise men and the other characters that we associate with the Christmas story. Because one thing about John the Baptist is there's nothing warm or fuzzy or sentimental about John. It'd be hard to um, envelop him in a, in, a, in a lovely Christmas setting. He just wasn't that kind of character. And yet, he was God's choice to promote and proclaim the coming of Christ. He was the person that God chose 
to make the way to prepare the people to receive Jesus. John was very different. Um, in fact, you could say everything about John was different. If you remember from a couple of weeks ago, we looked at his father, Zechariah, and we read and we learned that Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, John's mother, were both pretty old when John was born. Um, we also know that um, Elizabeth was related to Mary, the mother of Jesus. It says that they're cousins, but again, we learned this about Barnabas and I forget who it was. It was a cousin of come on, anyway, John Mark. John Mark and Barnabas were they're referred to as cousins, but really, all we can really tell is they were related. And it seems here, in the same way as we could see that Barnabas was older than John Mark, Elizabeth has an older relative of Mary. Um, and they became pregnant at the same time. And after the angel Gabriel visited Mary and told her she would conceive and give birth to the Messiah, Mary went and visited Elizabeth, who at the time was pregnant with John. And in Luke, Luke 1, it tells us this. It says, a few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived, and she entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. This unborn baby John, like leaping in the womb at the news of Jesus, is quite a... It's, it, it's just an unreal picture. But, you know, as an unborn child, John is filled with the Holy Spirit. John is filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's a whole other thing that I'd love us to look into with that about the significance um, of John's birth in the Spirit. Even though he wasn't born of the Spirit in the way that Jesus was, he was born filled with the Spirit with a purpose. And in Matthew 3, um, we learn more about John and his mission. In Matthew 3, it says this about when John grows up. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. This is where now we learn where John gets his eccentricity from. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist, and for food he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the river Jordan. John, like Jesus, didn't have a wealthy or um, what's the word I'm looking for? He didn't have, there's nothing exotic or plush, nothing wealth um, driven around John's uh, life. He began his ministry living in the desert of Judea, which was a rugged, deserted wilderness. He ate honey, honey? No, he didn't. He ate honey and wild locusts, and he dressed in garments of camel hair. We also learn about John that he read over the scriptures, that he communed with God. And we, we know that he modeled that at least he modeled his ministry after Elijah's. And we believe that in John, the spirit of Elijah, that declaring the, 
to the people to repent and turn to God was the same spirit and the same calling that John had in his life. I don't know how many are having honey locusts for lunch today. Um, I, don't, I don't think we are. We've not had that for some time. But actually... I actually found out that, that honey and locusts were actually part of the diet of the poorer people of that region. So honey and locusts, like that wasn't that eccentric from John. He was eating and living with the poor. Does that remind you of anyone? He spent his time with the poor. And when he, we read that he ate honey and well locusts, that's telling us that John was with, was with the people. He wasn't part of the religious establishment. He was with the people just as the same as the one who would come after him. So it wasn't unusual that someone would eat that, but his status, his looks and appearance would have been questionable to the elite and especially to the religious elite. Okay, are we seeing the parallels here with the story of Jesus? And John attracted many followers and it's believed that he attracted many followers from what we regard as the lower classes, the poorer people, and many of them were baptized by John, and he built up a number of followers. There were people who were referred to as John's disciples, and many of those ended up becoming followers of Jesus as they, they left John to follow Jesus. And actually, not surprisingly, many people in that day thought John was actually the long-awaited Messiah. A lot of the things that John brought would have been recognizable as being what they would have expected of the Messiah. But John knew who he was, he knew his calling, and he knew his purpose. In Matthew 3, John said this, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. That's John saying, guys, I am not the Messiah. He's so much, the one coming is so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And the Gospel of John also makes it clear about John the Baptist. It says this, that God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. John the Baptist was the, the way maker. The prepa he prepared the way for Jesus. He was calling out people to turn towards God and be ready to receive the Messiah who was coming. So we know that John wasn't the Messiah, but he was calling people to turn from their sinful ways and to repent and to be baptized. So what does all this mean? Because sometimes I do think about this and think, why, why, did, why did we need John the Baptist to do this? Why do we need John the Baptist to do this? Why couldn't Jesus just come and fulfill all of that um, in his time? Well, first of all, it's significant because the Old Testament prophets had spoken of someone who was going to come before the Messiah. So that, so that was the, the way that God had planned it. And there's prophecies in Isaiah and in Malachi, as well as images in both the book of Kings, um, if you want to have a, a look at that. But Isaiah and Malachi particularly have prophecies about um, John the Baptist. And in the same way as Elijah in the Old Testament called people to make a decision and turn back to God, this is what John was doing. John was doing the same thing. He was imploring the people to turn to the Lord, and because they turned to God, they would now be ready to receive the Messiah, 
this Jesus who was coming. And in this repentance, in this turning towards God, John called for them to make an outward sign. So he didn't say, I just want you just to believe this and to accept this. I want you to do something to show that you are repenting, that you're turning back to God. And this thing that John did was baptism. The people were to repent of their sins, to confess their sins, and be baptized. And this would be a baptism of cleansing. People would confess their sins, repent, proclaim that they would turn away from the way of life that they had. And John's purpose in this was to call people to change their hearts and draw closer to God. And as we saw in Matthew 3.11, John stated that Jesus would also be baptizing people, but Jesus would be baptizing with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And this is where it's hard to actually not, it's hard to describe the difference between John and Jesus' baptism. I find it hard without looking like you're diminishing John. Right? But John knew that what was coming, the Messiah who was coming, was far more powerful and far more important than he was. And yet, we need the confession of sin, don't we? We need the repentance and the turning away from our old life to a new life to receive Jesus. And this is what John was doing. John's baptism of water was to symbolize the cleansing of sin, the turning away of the old life to the turning towards a new life, turn towards God. And for Jesus, the work of the Holy Spirit is to reach into our hearts, spirits, and minds and like grab our whole being, lead us into a deep relationship with God. And the fire, this baptism of fire is a picture of refinement, of the, the old life passing away, the refining of our old life and this new life in Jesus and replaced with the Spirit of God. And that's why it says in the Word of God that, that God looks on us as righteous because he looks at the work in this, of the Spirit that Jesus has done within us, not at our own efforts and the things that we have done. You see, God doesn't look at us as righteous because of who we are, but because of the work of Jesus and the Spirit who comes upon us in salvation. And fire is often symbolized in, in the Bible as something that separates that which is pure from that which is impure. And Jesus comes to purify. So John is calling for us to turn our lives over to Jesus to prepare our hearts to receive his Holy Spirit. So I just think, so I just want to pause here. I think that's just an important line. John is calling for us to turn our lives over to Christ and that's to prepare our hearts to receive his Holy Spirit. It's important that we don't use our salvation just as our pass into heaven. That we've said yes to Jesus, so we're okay now, we're going to live our lives and then we die, and then we'll get into heaven. See, when we give our life to Jesus and we receive his salvation, our new eternal life begins 
in that moment. But we only fulfill the purposes and plans and live that new life if we are infilled and receive the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit within us that causes us to live lives that are beyond just saying yes, but actually continually saying yes to the things that God says to us, to the things that he prepares for us, to the places he puts us, that we say yes, 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 yes. So what is it that drew people to John and his message? Well, we've already established that John was a bit different. So that's quite often an attractive thing for people. We want to be around people who are a bit different, a bit edgy. And his lifestyle may have been a compelling reason to listen to him. And maybe his what seemed like strange ways would have convinced some people to follow him. Because everybody likes a rebel, right? Everybody likes you know, to be with somebody who's kicking against the establishment. Some people thought that he was literally the reincarnation of Elijah the prophet, and that would have inclined people to be drawn towards him. But John understood who he was. John understood that God was about to do something that was going to shake the foundations of the earth, and that his purpose was to prepare the way for that event. And I think that for John, one of the things I really admire about John is that he had a deep belief and passion about what he was doing. John bought in. He was all in. He was 100% for what God had called him to do. <coughs> and we see that <coughs> through the type of life <coughs> that he showed and, the, and the, his faithful obedience to God. John the Baptist lived a radical life. He, he lived and obeyed and fulfilled the purposes that God had placed on him, the call that God had put on his life, in spite of what anyone said or what anyone thought of him. He was plowing through. He was all in. He was 100%. You know, there's a lot of people who are passionate about what they do. <clears throat> and what happens when someone's passionate about something, it becomes more difficult to refute what they're saying because the sheer emotion, drive, motivation of this message, this thing that they believe in, it comes out so forcefully, it actually makes it harder to refute. But for John, <clears throat> it wasn't just that he was passionate, it was because everything that he did was all from God. All from God. I know, and that's always one way we can discern what is from God and what is not from God. Are the words you hear from God, or are they from the world or from somewhere else? These are things we should be weighing up all the time. The things, even what I'm saying this morning, you should be weighing up, thinking, is that, am I hearing from God here, or am I just hearing the best thoughts of Andrew? John's message was powerful because you could see that there was truth in what John was saying because of the way that he lived. You see, the religious elite <clears throat> at that time were corrupt. We saw that through the story of Jesus. And they didn't want to hear anything that John had to say. They totally rejected John, and he fiercely spoke out against their corruption. And it's good, I love reading. My, my favorite books to read are biographies. I love reading biographies. I love to hear how people like, attained like amazing things, what the journey in, in their life was. 
And we often listen to those who, who have a passion about life. And when it comes to service for God, oh, thank you very much, Heather. You're my favorite today, Heather. Yeah, it's good, it's good to read about people who have achieved great things and, and the passion behind that. And, and even though we've not met, met them, we can, we can admire them. And I guess for me, I think maybe my motivation for these biographies is that um, every time I read one, I often think, I, I wish I had what they had. I, I wish I could get what they've got, like that drive and that um, sense of purpose and achievement. Even in the midst of adversity, so many people I've met and read about they just seem to have this total belief in, in, in what they're doing. And when I see that, like, in someone who loves God and who's passionate about God, these are the, the people that I want to listen to. These are the people I want to model and go after. I love meeting and listening to and reading from people who aren't just um, academic about the Word of God, but are actually re retelling their experiences and their observations of the things they've seen not just what they've learned, but the things that they've seen. And I heard this described a couple of years ago um, as there being two types of people. You have theorists and practitioners. Theorists talk a good game and practitioners play the game. And a, and a galaxy far, far away called the 1980s, um, I, went to, I went to college, um, actually what was then Falkirk College of Technology, which is now Fourth Valley College. Um, and I did a business studies course, and one of my favorite, in fact, it was my, in fact, it was pretty much the only thing I turned up for, um, was a, a class called Organizational Behavior. I, and I loved it because it took you away from just learning about business, and it was saying, like, you know, how do you, how do you behave? How do you live this out? How do you create structures that are, um, that, that work? This is what it was all about. And um, my, my tutor there, he, a, a few times he, he spoke about a, a, a guy, I just, it just came to my mind when I was preparing this talk, but he's a, a philosopher from the 18th century called David Hume, right? And he wrote extensively about faith. This is what the guy was telling us at the college. But he wasn't a Christian. But the reason he wrote about faith was that he, he this guy Hume believed that passions rather than reason govern human behavior. Okay, you know what I'm saying, right? So it's your passion rather than reasoning or learning that govern human behavior. And um, we were told a story that every year this uh, David Hume would come to Scotland, and he would visit a church, even though he had no interest in, in Christianity. And one person that you asked him, he goes, look, I know you don't believe all that stuff that the minister's saying in this church. Um, he says, so why do you go? And David Shim's response was, he goes, I go because he believes it. And he said, and I wish to God that I did. Right? The thing that drew this non-believing philosopher towards his minister that he would go and visit every year was his passion. Right? Not his words, not what he could teach him, but what he could show him. And you know, the only answer to how to live a godly life is in Jesus. John was pointing towards Jesus, 
right? Because he was saying, right, you need to turn towards God, repent, give your old life, give up your old life, and live a life for God. And this guy, this Messiah who is coming after me, is going to show you how you do it. Yeah? He's going to show you how you do it. We can read the Word of God and learn everything we need to know about God, about Jesus, about the future of this world. But if you want to know how to live a life for God, then you point to Jesus. You point to Jesus. You see, it's not enough to know. It's not enough to learn. I've, I've been in church all my life, right? And I do say both but I know tons of stuff about the Bible. How much of it have I lived? That's questionable. I'd certainly, I know more than I've done. And I know more than I've lived. And I don't, I'm not proud of that. But Jesus lived everything that he knew. You see, the attraction to Jesus isn't just that he shows us how to live a good life or tells us what a good life is. You look at Jesus and the things that he did and you think, that's the life I want. That's the life that I want. John the Baptist said in John's Gospel, when he saw Jesus, he was John was doing his thing with crowds of people preaching and baptizing. Jesus appeared in the scene and he said, look, or behold, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John, this was a declaration from John to the world of who Jesus is and also to making it clear who he wasn't. Right? That is who he is. And Jesus was um, baptized by John and Jesus' baptism shows us that he identified with us because remember, John was baptizing sinners. Bob was, John was baptizing people turning from sin to, and, and lives of sin to life towards God. Jesus didn't need that. But I believe that Jesus took that baptism or one of the main reasons for Jesus taking that baptism was to identify himself with us, that he was human. And, and our baptism... And Jesus, we identify, then identify ourselves with him. I need to finish up here. Okay, if you just picture, we're in the early part of Jesus' ministry. Jesus is baptizing people. And John is asked by some of his followers about Jesus baptizing more people than John and why there was more people going to Jesus than, 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 than John had. And John's response was this. John the Baptist's response was this in John's gospel. He said, he must become greater, I must become less. He must become greater, I must become less. Now that's an amazing statement because in the world we live in, that's not so easy to do because we want what we want. Right? There's not much in the culture we live in that we can't get our hands on. Our natural instinct is for us to increase and the rest of the world to decrease, including Jesus. Yet John says, I must decrease, he must increase. And that's a huge statement for us. And I, and I guess like, the question I've been asking is, can I do that? Can I do that? Can I lower myself? Can I lessen myself? 
have less of me in my life and, and, have, and bring in more of Jesus? How do we make sure that Jesus is actually increasing in our lives and that we are decreasing? It's not an easy thing to do, or more of us would be doing it. But it's like when Jesus said in Luke 9, he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, or whoever wants to increase their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? See, this is what John was saying when he exclaimed, Jesus must increase and he must decrease. What does it profit us to, to, to gather up and accumulate things for ourselves to give us a, a comfortable life in this world if we lose our soul in the process? And that's vital to us as we attempt and step out to live for Jesus. And this brings us back to John. Because I think, I believe John lived that life. I believe John lived a life of ever decreasing Johnness and an ever increasing Godness. He was different, but I believe he was attracted to a world which was hurting. And that they saw something peculiar in John that led people to draw closer to him and accept baptism through repentance. So what is it that you can take from John the Baptist? I'm going to advise you don't take the camel hair outfit and the grasshoppers. But maybe, maybe God's seen you this morning, I'd like you to be a bit more distinctive. A bit less like those around you and a bit more like me. I had a guy this week, just randomly, I've known him for a wee while, and he said to me, I goes, I didn't realize you were like a pastor of a church. I went, all right. And he, and he said, uh, he, goes, he goes, I always thought there was something noble about you. <laughs> right? And I was thinking, like, well, nobody uses the word noble anymore. But because I was looking at this, I'm thinking, he must think I'm a bit odd. He must think I'm a bit odd. And then I thought, no, he should think I'm a bit odd. He should think I'm a bit odd. You know, because there's not many people do this. And he's like, yeah. And I, I came away and I was quite pleased. I thought, no, he thinks I'm a bit strange. I think that's good. He thinks I'm a bit odd, I'm a bit noble, whatever that means. But you know, I think we have to start being different. I think we need to be less like what's around us and more like Jesus. Are you a practitioner of what you believe? Or are you a theorist? Do you know it? Or do you know it and love it? Because to know it and love it, we become like John the Baptist. We live a life that prepares the way for Jesus. Just realize when that guy said that to me, I missed an opportunity. Because if that was John, he would have said, Look, behold the Lamb of God. You know, as we live our lives, our role is to prepare the way for Jesus. As we live 
lives that he has taught us and shown us how to live. And then people say, what is it you've got? What is it that's peculiar about you? And we say, it's Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Guys, I believe that's a real big challenge for us. Or God is calling us to prepare the way for Jesus. Everything we do, our food pantry, mainly music, our quiz night, and hopefully you're going to invite your friends, family, neighbours to. You know, we want people to come around and think, these guys are slightly weird. They're a bit different. They're strange. They're peculiar. They're a bit odd. There's something noble about them. Whatever that is. Because we are different. We are a bit strange. And so we should be. But not because, not just because we're strange, but because something, there's a passion within us that is driving us to live differently.